You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello, and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, we're very excited to welcome a, a very special guest today. Um, and, and you don't know this, but we, we've actually got to know them <laughs> quite well uh, over the past, uh, I don't know, hour, hour and a half. Uh, we, we've had a few tech issues here, uh, and um, we're excited because we now know that they're an incredible magician and, and a great person, uh, but we want you to discover it as well. So I'm, I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Benji, who's, who is also an incredible person. Uh, but, uh, but our guest today is a Mr. Joel Dickinson. Would you like to introduce yourself for everyone? Hi, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you've said my name already. My name's Joel. Uh, I'm a magician in the UK. I said your name badly. <laughs> no, you said it perfectly. That's fine. You can call me anything you like. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I've been a full-time magician for uh, li- literally 20 years now. I started full-time when I was 16. Um, I am 36. That's giving my age away, isn't it? And I started off performing, well, I started off in magic when I was 10 years old. Um, and I've just always, always had the magic bug. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, without further ado, I think we're going to jump into some questions. Um, so one that I was actually interested to, uh, well, in, uh, we, we actually asked this question before, but I think people will be interested in hearing it. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about, so um, you're someone that is, is a well-traveled magician who's performed for lots of, of different crowds and lots of different cultures. Yeah. Um, would you be able to elaborate a bit upon what it's like performing for British audiences versus, I don't know, uh, Netherlands or German or American? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, um, right. So my experience of performing for international audiences has been on cruise ships, um, traveling around different parts of the world. Um, Egypt and, um, you know, but obviously with when performing for, for other cultures um, and obviously the restriction is language. So um, I guess in one one way, when that's happening, you, you kind of, you're hoping that the person connects without, sorry, that I connect to my audience uh, with with a big language barrier, but magic's so good that it's it's the universal thing where like music, people can connect to seeing something and, you know, you kind of, you, you, you can create impossibilities with magic and, um, you know, and grip an audience without actually being, you know, having to verbalise anything, you know. Um, and obviously the difference is with a British audience, obviously um, I can actually talk to them and engage them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the ultimate thing for me is, you know, when performing for a, a British audience is, is the whole verbal thing where I can just perform directly to a British audience and, you know, and, you know, of other cultures, um, you know, the connection is pretty much the magic, uh, unless I learn certain uh, parts of languages and things which I've done in the past um, to, to perform shows. But, I mean, American audiences, as an example, I mean, we speak British, but um, there's the, you know, certain things and certain elements of, of even just being British are kind of um, missed very slightly, um, such as, uh, right. <laughs> you know, the, the comedy of sarcasm and, you know, things, little things like that, the small details where it could almost be clashed and certain things that are jokes might be taken seriously or, 
um, <laughs> you know, and, and then you've almost kind of um, created a bit of a, a demeanor for yourself, if you see what I mean. Um, and you, obviously you don't want to kind of, I, I might say something to an American audience and the American audience might think, what is he really like that? And really, I'm actually just telling a bit of a joke, or and then you don't really want to go. Oh, no, hang on, that's not that's not me. That's just uh, that, that's a joke. That's British humour, and <laughs> um, yeah. so you know that that can be missed, misinterpreted, I guess, like quite easily. Um, so you, you obviously have to be careful. Um, sorry, that's my email there. Um, obviously, you have to be careful. Um, you know, when performing and verbalising to, you know um non-british people i guess um but yeah british audiences i guess you've got that instant connection um and that you know the moment you step out and you start talking you just you're instantly kind of engaged with mm. with with the british people yeah that makes Sweet. sense and so does that make sense? I, Have I just it does make sense. On? Yeah. So, no, no, good. no. To be honest, bro, you could you could probably tell me anything and I'd believe it because I yeah, only yeah. Really exclusively <laughs> British and I don't really know the difference. So I'll take your word at face value. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One question I have for you is: um, so you recently, I guess fairly recently, you started a company called Real Workers with your uh, friend and also another great magician, Andrew Dean, who we hope to secure for the podcast very soon. Yeah. Um, what is the, I guess, what is like the mission statement of this company? Like, did you, what gap is it filling? What need is it solving? Um, yeah, well, I guess, um, like, the mission statement is almost in the name, real workers. Mm -hmm. Like, every single thing that we release, we, we, we kind of did genuinely come up with a, like an agreement in place that everything that we release has to be something that we will perform. Therefore, mm -hmm. we know that each trick is a real worker because. Me and Andy are both full-time magicians and performers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know that what we put out has to work for us. And if it will work for us, it's very likely it'll work for other, other magicians as well. I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website, thedailymagician.com. If you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content just like this podcast, please head over there and sign up now. That's thedailymagician.com. We promise that we won't disappoint you. Yeah, so I'm interested. Um, kind of, when was your? When did you kind of make this transition of okay, I'm going to be a full time magician? Because <laughs> it's kind of like going out and saying I'm I'm going to be an actor, or you know, I'm I'm going to play piano for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. When did this? When did this kind of realization come to you that okay, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Right. So when I like performing magic was my very first job. Like, um, the, the it's always been my living. I've never actually had a job. So as a child, I knew that I wanted to be a magician. So, um, and luckily when I was 15 years old, I met a magician who told me to head out and, you know, work for this magic company. We set up the, the first year of the house of illusions, which is in Spain. Um, and I was lucky to go through like an audition process, uh, and ended up getting that job there. So I was working with Matt Edwards, Oliver Tabor, Scott Pepper, um, and, a whole lot of other really, really good magicians who were already like really well established. So uh, Wayne Goodman, um, Rodney James Piper. So I luckily I was working with some really good established performers, and at a young age I was like a sponge and just managed to you know soak it all up and learn from a young a young age that this is not only what I want to be doing, but I'm learning how to go about it the right way. Um, but I knew to answer your question directly, 
I knew when I was a child that I wanted to be a magician. Um, so wow. it, was, it was a matter of, of telling my teachers, you know, my uh, careers advisors at the time, um, that I'm going to be a magician. They told me, you've got absolutely no chance. The best thing you could probably do is open up a shop or be a teacher. Now, that sounds absolutely crazy <laughs> because it is. Like, you know, what would I do? Be a teacher and show the pupils some magic tricks? Um, but that was the advice that I was given, and that was the best part of 20 years ago. So, you know, hopefully advice to the younger generation has changed. But I was brought up in a shipping town, a little place called Barrow in Furness. And at the time, right. it was the most poverty-stricken um, town in the whole of um, Brit uh, Britain, basically. Uh, it was the most wow. poverty-stricken town. So the expectations, or my expectations that I had from my teachers was literally you're going to go and work in a shipyard, and that was it. I was pushed to work in the shipyard. I even went through um, an interview process of becoming uh, a sheet metal worker to 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 actually build ships. Um, but that's when I met this guy who said, "Get yourself out, you know, mm -hmm. go meet these meet these guys, go through these auditions, and get the job because you've got what it takes already. You're already you're young." Um, I performed a show with this guy and he, he must have seen something, you know, so that, that performing with him just created that opportunity for me, you know, um, to head out for some auditions and, and perform somewhere and work abroad. So That's yeah, quite was, yeah. And even that job that I did then with this guy, um, you know, it was just me as an amateur magician, but you know, and it was an amateur show. But that created a big opportunity. So in magic, there are opportunities if you just look for them. And trust me, being in the most poverty-stricken area, to be given that opportunity, you know, I just knew that I had to push through with it and get away from this little shipbuilding town. Uh, and that was like a little lifeline thrown at me. And I just did whatever I could to make sure it happened. That's crazy, man. Because that, <laughs> so that's like just the contrast, right, between you know, those two fork in the road, right? The, the path on one side, and the path on the other. Yeah. How those circumstances sort of come together. Or if you had an, I, I don't know the exact circumstances of how you met this guy, but. Yeah. Well, he was actually between... in, he was in the, the local magic club, which was, mm -hmm. which is, sorry, called the Northwestern Society of Magicians. Mm -hmm. um, he was in that and he was a hypnotist, hypnotist mm -hmm. and magician. And he used to travel around, different parts of Spain as well. So he knew the guy who was hosting these auditions to work in the very first um, House of Illusions, which is, if you're unfamiliar with it, that's based in Salou. Um, mm. Lots of really well-established performers have performed there since then. That was, you know, 19, 20 years ago. Um, they've had performers like Matt Wright, um, you know, as I said, Matt Edwards, just, just lots of Matt Coleman, lots of really good performers oh, have been over there and you know used that as as an opportunity as well really to get them you know doing what they want to be doing hmm. have you been uh, that's really to the yeah yeah go i'm ahead. just curious because i'm still caught up on this this story yeah me too i was gonna ask the same thing <laughs> yeah well it looks like yeah we're gonna ask the same thing have you been back to your sort of town where you grew up and i don't know this sort of triumphant return you know look at me now making doves appear yeah. everywhere like was it quite like that yeah, yeah, no, I have. I've been back. Um, I've lived there for a short amount of time. I bought a house uh, in that little town, um, but ended up moving away from it again. Uh, I travelled all over the UK, um, and I really did. I was living in uh, parts of Yorkshire, 
Um, I lived in London for a short amount of time. Mm. I even moved to Ipswich for a short amount of time. Uh, then I moved to Lancaster, which is uh, like pretty central in the UK. Uh, sorry, in England. Um, and yeah, and now I'm I'm not far away from Barrow. I'm in a little um, a little place called Ulverston, uh, which mm. is in the Lake District. Mm. So I'm interested. Where did your kind of motivation come from? How did you? I mean, obviously, um, it kind of sounds like it was just always there, but there must have been times when you thought about giving up or because I mean, this is such a fascinating case study of because, you know, there's this whole talk of like, is it your situation that defines your yourself? And it sounds like you're kind of in that yourself camp where you had every excuse to work in sheet metal, but you decided, no, like I, I want to do something else. I just I gone over just want to hear a little bit more about your mindset and how you yeah. stayed so motivated. I guess I was at the time I was so young. Um, you know, and I'd already been performing magic for the best part of five years at this point. I started in magic when I was 10 and, um, yeah, I was already absolutely, I knew that I had to do something with magic. Um, I knew that I wasn't destined to be in the shipyard. So, you know, I just spotted that opportunity, as I say, just to, um, you know, get, get away from that. And, you know, luckily I just pursued, yeah. Uh, that didn't really answer your question. <laughs> um, no, and that's what I'm saying. Maybe it was just, that's just always yeah. been a thing, right? I guess you just the were, always inspired. Yeah, there were times where I'd, I'd never actually felt like giving up magic, um, but there were times where I was making an absolute pittance in magic financially. Um, right. You know, absolute peanuts. And coming away with very little money, to be honest, that that was a difficult thing, but again, I never ever once thought about getting a job and making more money because I'd already spent so much time with little money that I didn't need it. I basically ended up living out of um, a suitcase mm. for honestly for around about I would say about six years of my life. I was just living out of a suitcase. It was a suitcase that my grandma bought me, and yeah, but that's even the suitcase that I moved to Spain with when I left and. You know, and that had my magic in it. It had clubs in it. It had a few books in it. And that's all I really cared about. Like, I was all just focused on magic, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I w even my accountant now, he even says to me, you know, that I, sh I shouldn't really be in magic. He says you should actually be <laughs> releasing books and letting people know how to live off such a small amount of money <laughs> because that's a skill in itself, I guess. But, um, you know, but that, that was then. And, you know, you work hard and... You know, you, you know. I, I guess I didn't really need to get anywhere. That was one good thing because I started off so young. I wasn't interested in money. I didn't really need to be anywhere. Does that make sense? I just, I always knew that right. I wanted to be. You were, and you were chasing yeah, the dream, not the exactly. result. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. And it wasn't even really the dream. It was the only thing that I knew. So mm. I always knew right. I could make money from that. So there was no other path. <laughs> exactly. There was no other path and there still has never been another path. It's just always been magic. I've never tried to yeah. deviate. Even during, you know, it's twenty over twenty twenty lockdown. Uh, yeah. I had a cabaret club in Manchester. Uh, we've still got it. It's called the Vanishing Cabaret. We invested a lot of money into it in 2019. Sorry, late 2018. And we lost it in 2020. We lost all of our investment. We lost the cabaret club. But I'm still not deterred from magic. You know, that's just all experience and a part of magic. You know, yeah. um, the difficulties that it can bring. And, you know, at the end of the day, like them experiences, you know, 
they kind of build my foundations for magic as well. And to be honest, probably makes me a little bit more passionate about going out and showing people some really good magic. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I was about 12 years old, I watched a magician called Terry Crawford. So I'd already been doing magic for about two years at this point. And this magician, he was an old boy, an old magician. Um, and he was, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been interested in magic for a couple of years and I managed to watch this guy doing a magic show. And that was like a definitive point for me because he was absolutely brilliant. He was doing all the classics, gypsy thread, spirit slates, um, you know, tricks with balloons and, you know, and he was a classic magician, but he did a really good job at it. And, you know, he was always a point for me where I remember watching his show and thinking that was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I, I often remember that performance before I go out on stages. Now, even when I'm doing Zoom shows, I'll remind myself what it was like seeing Terry perform his magic show. And if I can give my audience just that little thing that I experienced, then I know that I'm giving people some good magic to watch. And that for me is good. And it's better than any kind of money, you know, because that that for me was just such a good experience that, you know, if I can give my audience that feeling that I got, then I'm, I'm happy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. We've, uh, <laughs> we've seen a little bit of a case study in that, uh, resilience, perhaps we'll say tonight we, you had yeah. every reason to, to quit on this podcast, but I guess your, your passion for magic went out once again. I have a, a question about real workers. Um, yeah. So yeah. from listening to what you you're talking about, it's obvious that for anyone who hasn't yet connected the dots, being a professional magician is not an easy job. Um, but also running a company is not an easy job. So I, I wonder what is the certain skills that you find or not skills, but are there certain things about running a business that you find harder than I don't know, which one would you say is harder actually running a magic company or being like a, a magician singular? Um, well, to be honest, I think, right, because I'm, I'm passionate about magic. Mm. I just don't, I don't see either of them as more difficult than the other. Um, because I just, I guess I just really enjoy so much what I do, mm. but, um, I started with, um, when, when I first started to release magic, I did it under a completely different banner and it, it it's called Tada. It's still there. You can, people can still purchase Tada magic tricks. Um, you know, I release books, chop cups and lots of different things. Um, so, you know, I, I did it all on my own originally to begin. And I guess, um, you know, working with Andy was a really good kind of opportunity because, you know, it just took away the, um, you know, rather than creating on my own, it was good to bounce ideas around with somebody. Um, and it, and it just helps get a lot more ideas out a little sure. bit quicker. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've never really looked at either of them as, as different things. Um, and obviously they are, they are like completely different, but I've just looked at them as two things that I really enjoy, you know, like the whole production side of, of creating a product and putting a video with it, a tutorial. And, you know, it, it for me, it's quite hand in hand because my mind has already uh, has always been creating magic, and you know I enjoy that process of turning you know what starts as an idea of me just sat down on the sofa or whatever I'm doing, and wow, I get this like flash of an idea, and you know, and then it and then it becomes this. It's almost like I treat it as a bit of a, a game in one sense. Like, how am I going to take this little idea? and turn it into something that I know yeah. other magicians will use, will want to use, and it's got a real good purpose in the magic community. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, 
but yeah, I mean, ultimately, no, I've never really like dis, you know, seen the other, the performing side and the creating side as, as two different things. Because, you know, um, as long as the magic is good um, that I create and I, I release to the magic community, then I'm happy. I briefly pause this podcast to give a shout out to the Daily Magician Tapes Collection. This is a growing collection of exclusive audio training and interviews with some of the world's best, including the magician that you're listening to right now. If you'd like to find out more about the Daily Magician Tapes, head over to thedailymagician.com slash tapes. That's thedailymagician.com slash tapes. We'll see you there. Mm. And, and maybe that makes this question a little bit redundant, you can tell me. Um, I, I was curious if there's anything you've actually because I know speaking for, for me and Jacob we've definitely learned a lot about magic that we you know, didn't actually I guess it exposes you to different sides of magic right when you have to do some of this other stuff that, that maybe not as many people do in magic and so is there anything that you've, you've learned about magic that you that has come about from running a magic company and whether whether it's real workers or the one you had previously I think Tadar was the name of it um I'd be interested um, to know. Sorry, I'm. I, I might be being a bit silly here, but I'm not completely following the question. Yeah, is the? I guess that's my fault. Is, is there anything no, you've no. learned about magic that has come about from running a magic company? So, so, so not something that you picked up from being a performer, but some kind of unique idea or insight into magic that only came about as a result of you know producing magic products, um, interacting with lots of magicians on an email list, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. Um... I think like just I think the thing that goes with that is probably time um always being involved in magic I think the the ultimate thing is the long term learning experience um you know rather than just oh I've picked this up or I've picked this up I think ultimately over time as you know I, the longer you're involved with magic and you know the way that your mind like slightly adapts to to a specific thing I guess um you know, I think magic is a slow, for me, it's been like a slow learning curve rather than some quick thing. I'm not somebody who's always wanting to get the next best latest magic trick, but I'm all, always kind of, you know, in, as well as learning new tricks and new ideas and new concepts. And, you know, I'm I'm actually kind of like interested in the the longer journey of magic. So, you know, when, when I was younger, as an example, um, you know, when when I was 16 years old and I was performing in Spain, and I've mentioned that already, but I was well aware that, you know, when I reached the age of 40, 35, 40, I'm going to be taken a lot more serious as a magician. But had I took my show when I was 16 years old to my show when I was, um, you know, 35, 40 in five years' time, my show wouldn't have worked. But my mind then, if I said that, my show will be completely different and everything about me as a performer will be completely different. I wouldn't have believed it because I would have believed that I'm ready. I'm ready to be doing that show when I'm 40 years old. Um, so that's what I mean about the long-term journey um, and, you know, and looking at things a little bit deeper and yes, yeah, studying what you do and just improving. Um yeah, I don't, I, that didn't really answer your question directly, but you know that that's one thing that I've always been well aware of. Um, you know, be be willing to kind of change, and mm. I, I don't know. You probably, I guess, when you're younger, you're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and you're in your younger years. You kind of you believe like your own hype, I guess, in one way. Um, you know, and it takes 
being knocked down a peg and accepting that that really allows you to grow um so yeah um that's why i kind of said you know had you told me when i was 16 17 that you know i'm not going to be performing the same show i'm going to be a completely different person i wouldn't have believed it um so yeah i just think time ultimately um mm-hmm. it's is the thing i think mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i actually i actually have a question about that because you're obviously someone that has a lot of experience kind of especially in the british magic scene or just yeah. english whatever um I'm wondering, where do you think, this is quite a deep question, but where do you think magic kind of fits into society nowadays as far as, you know, you have the greats looking back of like, um, you know, Houdini and you have like Thurston and all these people where, you know, they tour the world and magic was, where do you think magic is now? Where do you think it fits into, perhaps you can answer for British society, maybe that'll give us an idea of the rest of the world, but where, where do you think magic finds its place? Um, well, at the moment, obviously, we're kind of facing lockdowns and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Right. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, the, the real thing, the real place for it, again, is connection. Um, that connection with people and giving people experiences. Um, that, for me, is is still the place. Um, you know, connecting with people and showing them something different and uh, as i said like we're in lockdowns at the moment so it's a way to kind of take people out of the reality of what's going on because there isn't a day that passes at the moment where people are thinking oh we're in lockdown and you know it's difficult and you know but if you can take somebody away from something you know sorry if you can take people away from that feeling you know um then that that's a good enough place for it to be in in my mind um but yeah, um, again, though, it is, it's the whole kind of connection thing because we're obviously we're having to do Zoom shows and things like that. And what I really like to do when I'm performing Zoom shows is, is just not have a chat with people and bore them for 10 minutes to let them know that I'm a real person talking to them because obviously they're staring at a screen, but I like to get them talking and, and learn a little bit about them um, so that, you know, uh, and 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 them learning things about me that are not necessarily magic related, but you know, oh right, he's a nice guy, and yeah, right, cool. If I met him, mm-hmm. if I saw him out, I'd mm-hmm. I'd connect with him, and we'd we'd get along. Do you know what I mean? And you know, and then to show people magic, it just starts to you know over a Zoom screen or a computer screen, or I'm on their phone screen, or I'm on their television, or wherever I am. I mean, they have to know that they're not watching YouTube right now; they're actually talking to me. You know. Um, because impossible things are going to happen over the screen and people are used to seeing that you know when watching things such as facebook videos and youtube videos so letting them know that actually i'm this real person right now and you know if i could reach through the screen and you know just touch your face or if you could reach through you could touch mine i'm right here and i'm talking to you um you know that that that's important i think you know that connection that um yeah, rather than just an internet connection, an actual proper connection that, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously there's lots of other other kind of ways that it fits in. But right now people are keeping distances from each other. And let, let's be honest, that's been happening for the best part of a year. So it's hard to be showing people magic in outside. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think about that, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's 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 impossible to go out and show people magic um you know because you, you can't you can't start showing people magic because the moment people start gathering around you know yeah. that's it it's you're you're then creating a problem and you're not going to be looked mm. at in a good light so mm. yeah it's it's difficult 
Well, speaking of um, performing over Zoom, I think we we were talking before the podcast. Uh, again, it seems like a while ago now. But right. you mentioned you have a, a, a project coming up soon, which is it sounded pretty exciting to me. It's like a type of way of, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but forcing anything over Zoom in a kind of organic way, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's something that I actually came up with um, oh, it was probably about four years ago. I used to do quite a lot of work with Michael Murray. Um, oh, yeah. And one thing that I used to like primarily work in was mentalism. I used to invent a lot of mentalism, lots of you know things that just basically made it look like I had the ability to read people's minds, tell people their right. star signs and things like that. Well, I came up with this little tool and um, I shown it to Michael Murray. We played around a bit for a little bit and there was this like slight discrepancies in it that made it unreliable. Um, and, you know, over time I just managed to kind of figure out how to make it completely reliable. Um, and yeah, and it's called the fab board and it's a way you can, you can use it perfectly over zoom, but it's a way to force anything. That's why it's called the fab board force mm -hmm. anything board. And um, yeah, you can literally just force anything. Um, um, basically, the way that it appears is it's nice for Zoom because you, you can bring somebody in and, you know, they have like three choices and you can write, you'll have a list of, say, one to 15 things, one to 20, one to 25, whatever you want. And, um, you know, as an example, you can ask people to shout different things over Zoom. People will shout different things. I don't know, you could say, um, as, as an example, you could say, um, in a moment, I'm going to perform a magic trick. Um, and it's up to you what I perform this trick with. So people start shouting things out. Um, people might say a glass, a dice, and you write all of these things down, right? Then you're writing them all down to different numbers. Um, and then you ask somebody to name any number, let's say from 1 to 15, and you circle that number that they say. Uh, they then have a look at the corresponding object mm -hmm. um, and then it matches your prediction perfectly and then you can go into a trick with the object that they've selected mm -hmm. um, you know so it's it, yeah it's a way to force anything uh, basically but it's uh, it's really nice it just it's all very free very fair mm. well the the description of it certainly fooled me <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing will there be like a I don't know like a video trailer or somewhere people can go to check it out yeah, or just... waiting list maybe no, no, it's uh, it's already available. It's on realworkers.co.uk and mm. it's about to go worldwide. Um, mm. You know, we secured a big order for it. And again, it's probably that whole kind of internet performing world. It's the only real way to perform at the moment. So it's just absolutely perfect for that. Beautiful. I'll take a look at that. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Based on creating products, and I think we'll probably make this our, our last question, unless we just sure. have anything else to, to add or if there's anything you want to talk about um joel um but um yeah i wanted to ask you so you're, you're clearly kind of seen like a prolific creator even from a young age um uh and again i'm getting confused between what you told us here and what you told us on the podcast but um i know could, could you, you there was that story right where you told us um about how you had a friend uh who did a routine where it was signing a bill oh, yeah, uh, and yeah. yeah would you sure. tell us about that quickly maybe just yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, it was my first year um, out working at the House of Illusions, actually. And um, as well as performing in the House of Illusions, I used to have, um, uh, I, I used to travel around hotels, performing cabaret shows as well. Um, and um, I, I wasn't really sure of what actual material to go out and perform, you know, something that plays so big to such a big audience. And a friend of mine, a guy called Wayne Goodman, um, basically told me to go out and perform um, a signed note to nest of boxes. 
Um, he showed me the method that he recommended, and it was it was great, but it just wasn't really what I wanted to be doing because your hand was a little bit dirty as you were performing. You were you were basically palming um, a note, and you had to keep it palmed like throughout the full performance. Um, wow. So I ended up. Um, uh, the performance of that routine, sorry. But um, yeah, I ended up devising my own method. Um, and I, I told Wen that I'm going to keep this routine within my show. I uh, didn't tell him that I switched the methods around. Um, and when he watched it, um, he was he was baffled by it uh, because I, I made sure that I, I, I kind of led him down the garden path and um, kept my hand in a little bit of an unnatural kind of way. I wanted him to think, oh, no, he's, he's, he's palming here and that looks terrible. Um, you know, and just just kind of led him down that garden path, as I say. Um, I wanted him to think, you know, that, you know, oh, that's awful. It's not the trick for him. Well, anyway, like my cripple-like hand eventually just relaxed, and I showed him that it was empty. And then I opened up the nest of boxes, and inside the box was um, the the signed note. Um, so yeah, and they were just regular a regular nest of boxes from you know a standard gift shop with rubber bands wrapped around it and yeah it just looked 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 brilliant yeah sounds a yeah sounds almost a little bit like yeah. penn and teller foolers but yeah exactly yeah um <laughs> yeah foolers wasn't around then <laughs> right but Fine. yeah it was it was just just a way to kind of lure, lure, your mate. yeah lure him <laughs> into it yeah uh that false yeah. sense of security and then when you fool the magician it just feels good doesn't it i guess yeah, yeah. Being, both being fooled and being the fooler right. it's a nice feeling <laughs> right so, so my follow-up question to that was, okay, so you've clearly been creating for a long time. Yeah. Where does it come from? How, how does your creative process work if you can break that down at all? Um, well, to be totally honest, I can't, I can't really break it down because I don't have a set way of doing it. What I do like right. to do is just come up with ideas and concepts, um, even like look at existing tricks and how I would kind of change it or what can come from an existing trick. Um you know, but yeah, I don't really have like a set process. Um, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, if you want, like, um, an idea that I had a couple of days ago that isn't yet a trick, I can tell you the idea yes. if you like. Please, um, please do. Yeah, yeah. Um, no problem. Um, so what I want to do, um, so this is how I will often come up with magic. Like, what do I want to happen? Or, mm. you know, I get an idea of, wow, that, that could be quite nice. Um, yeah. well, I'll tell you, I'll explain this new trick idea, right? Um, bear in mind, it, like it might never get released. It might not even happen. I don't even have a method for it yet. But yeah. well, I do. I've kind of figured out workings for it. But uh, anyway, somebody would um, have a business card. Somebody else. Uh, it's perfect for a bride and groom, right? Mm -hmm. So you would hand the bride a business card and the groom a business card. Um, forget all the pattern and everything like that because that doesn't even exist. Um, the bride would draw a bride in stick stickman form on there. Mm -hmm. um, oh no, sorry. You draw the bride and you in a stickman form and you give it to the bride to hold on to um and then the groom you draw a stick just a standard stickman maybe wearing a top hat like a groom hat mm -hmm. uh and he holds his hand out and he holds on to the groom well the idea is that they switch places in their hands so now the bride turns over her card and it's the groom and then the groom turns his card over and it's the bride which sounds good mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so now what i thought would be like a really nice thing is just to say look I'm going to do it again. I'm going to make them switch back. Um, so let's uh, try it again. And the bride now turns hers over and the bride on her card has completely vanished. There's no groom there. Yeah. But now when the groom turns over his card, 
on that card is the bride and groom stood together holding hands. Yeah, I love it. I was hoping that was going to be the, yeah. the prestige. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that just came from basically like just a little idea of how nice it would be at some point because I, I love performing, you know, jumping stickman routines like Richard mm. Sanders. I've got like my own little takes of jumping stickman routines and, you know, Kieran Johnson's jumping uh, stickman with the, with the cannon and, you know, I love. I've always loved stickman routines, um, but I just thought how nice it would be, like, just to see like a bride and a groom stickman holding hands. And the best way that seemed almost logical is the whole bride and groom switch in place, and then lure them in, tell them you're going to do it again, but this time when the bride turns ho- hers over, it's vanished, and then it's on the grooms, and they're both stood holding hands. How you originally, you know, drawn them out? Yeah, so. Uh, so it. yeah, I mean, I've got handling for it, but I mean, I've kind of told you about it already, so anybody can play with it and see what you come up with, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, just just ideas, you know. Yeah, and so I like if, I, if I can sum that up and tell me if I'm wrong, but what I think what you're saying is for people a great way to, I guess, spark creativity is, like you just said, don't hold yourself back, right, and, and just think of like what is the coolest effect I can imagine, like. Just go wild, think of the effect, and then like don't limit yourself by what you know now. Yeah, definitely. Start yeah. the effect and, and try and work towards that. Yeah, yeah. Or even get halfway through what I've done a few times, and it is really nice, is to get halfway through a magic trick, right? Mm. And then stop reading it, and mm. then give it your own ending. Mm. And that's, that's a, a really nice way to, to create your own magic. And then when you've come up with your own thing, go back and read it and see where it was meant to go. That's great. Or, or sometimes, it's yeah. uh, one of the most practical tips we've yeah. got. So thanks. Yeah. And maybe again, yeah. combining your initial idea with that, I, I suppose you could open a magic book and just read the description, right, and just take it straight from there. And yeah. Then see how the, the full thing. Lies yeah, up. yeah. I think we do that as well, don't we? Like we can we can look at descriptions of magic tricks, and mm. yeah, it sounds great. And you can figure out your own yeah. <laughs> handling for it, like yeah. almost instantly. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, it's like our we've kind of crafted our minds i guess we've, we've trained mm-hmm. our minds to figure things out you know almost like when 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 people say to me who people who are not magicians mm-hmm. you know when you say how do you think of these magic tricks you know mm-hmm. people who have lived with or you know partners the, girlfriends mm-hmm. whatever they've said how do you think of this stuff and the, like the way that i can kind of describe it is imagine a plumber figures out a problem and he'll, he'll go to somebody's house and he'll figure out how to fix something you mm-hmm. know uh, well, I couldn't do that because I don't have the, mm-hmm. the mind of a plumber to figure out how mm-hmm. to make this gas thing appear over there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like our minds, I guess, are trained like people who are skilled in different things. Um, we can get to where we want something to be because just like anybody else who have who has already mastered their crafts, we do the exact same thing, but just in a different way. Mm. that's great it's probably a good place to end it man that was some really good yeah. stuff there. thank you so much oh that's um, alright no problem at yeah, all yeah and we'd love to give you a chance please um, I think we talked about it a bit already but please if there's any links people can go to if they want to hear more from you if they want to get their hands on um, uh, the fab board if I'm saying right yeah, the, yeah the fab board where, where can they go I'm pretty sure it's the realworkers.com right that, no it's realworkers.co.uk oh, .co.uk yeah 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 we've got um, things over there so yeah um, check it out Perfect. we're on Facebook as well yeah and, and so it's it's 
it's Joel Dickinson and realworkers.co.uk for anyone that's interested definitely yeah. go check him out because oh, he's, he's doing some great stuff <laughs> thanks a lot alright well thank you so much um, Joel, for coming on we really appreciate it uh, we'll close it out there um, thanks everyone for listening and yeah, uh, thanks, we'll see everybody. you I hope time. it wasn't too rambly for you all but oh it's great no it was great it was, it was yeah. really great oh thanks everybody okay <laughs>